Thank you, Wesley. Thank you, David. Well, instead of acknowledging the elephant in the room, let me acknowledge the Band-Aid on the head. Some of you, it's been fun talking to people and not looking me in the eye, but up at my head, and I just kept dropping down to try to look you in the eye. That's been kind of fun, social experiment. Little trip to the dermatology office this week. I am okay. Good news is tomorrow I get my stitches out. The bad news is that I begin to look more and more like Frankenstein. We'll work through it. I don't know what to do. But I'm okay. Thank you for those of you who express concern. I would like us, before we open the word, to go one more time to the throne of grace, even with these words, take my life and let it be. And for us also to remember Allie Jenkins, I think she has her surgery this week, and also our Ravonda Schwinn, who has been battling cancer. And so if we can take these two names on our hearts, uh, Allie Jenkins and then Ravonda Schwinn, let's go to the throne of grace one more time. Our Father, we have sung... These words take my life and let it be. And we pray that it would be so tonight that our life would be a fragrant offering to you or maybe even as Paul would say, a drink offering poured out for you. And we pray as we'll see that holiness was a priority for priests that in fact we are that holy priesthood for whom holiness is a great priority and we long to be remade not just in your image but particularly in the image of your son as Paul wrote of in Romans 8 but we remember tonight the names of Allie Jenkins and Ravonda and pray for your mercy for these two gals that they might know the comfort of your love, a felt sense of your presence, that all the fullness and the riches of your promise for them in Christ, you would bring to their remembrance this night and you would provide for them. We pray for your spirit's work too as we hear the word. We ask this for the sake of your great name, amen. Amen. Well, if you'll turn with me in your Bible to Exodus 27, and we're going to read from verse 20 to the end of Exodus 28. Exodus 27, verse 20 to the end of chapter 28. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. In the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. 
Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. And there's that phrase again, verse 1, verse 4, to serve me as priests. Verse 5, they shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be of one piece with it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold, twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. Verse 15. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen shall you make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set it or set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, fourth row a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel, they shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. Let's pause for a moment and understand. On the ephod, two stones, one on each shoulder, containing in order of birth the 12 names of the sons of Israel. And then in these 12 stones on the breastpiece of judgment, one name per stone, those names repeated. 
Back to verse 22. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold and the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree and so attach it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart. When he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord and in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. You shall make the robe of the ephod, all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like the opening in a garment so that it may not tear. On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers... And its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. Verse 36, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat and checker work of fine linen and you shall make a turban of fine linen and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. And here's this phrase again. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. And you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve as priests. You shall make them for linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs. And they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. I know it's a long reading, 
the grass withers and the flower fades and the word of our God endures forever. I think when Paul, even as we discussed this morning in Sunday school, when Paul speaks, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, of the sacred writings, no doubt he has even this chapter with all its detail in his mind. Well, just for a moment, imagine this scene, and maybe some of you have had this terrible nightmare of finding yourself You're mortified. You walk into a situation and you discover not that you're undressed, but that you're totally underdressed. Has anyone ever had that experience? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Maybe you can nod. You think, yeah, I totally missed it. Or maybe in an embarrassing way, you're overdressed. But for the moment, you're not undressed, but underdressed. And you're simply not rocking it. You're totally out of style in what you're wearing. Wrong color, misfit, like from the 80s, and it's just not working for you, and you stand out like a sore thumb. And if you could be invisible and shrink into the wall, you would. And so this morning as we, or tonight as we think about holiness as the priority for priests, I want us to review, take a moment and review from last week. Remember that In chapters 25 through 27, we saw the Lord gave specifications for the tabernacle or what we call the tent of meeting. And the details of the furnishings like the Ark of the Covenant covered by the mercy seat, the table for bread, the golden lampstand, they had all been conveyed and they're being conveyed even as we're reading this. Moses is in those 40 days up on the mountain. And the materials, the arrangement, the dimensions of the court of the tabernacle and the bronze altar, all these God had spoken to Moses. But now beginning right here in chapter 28, the Lord communicates the particulars of the holy garments that Moses is to make for Aaron and his sons. And we're not going to miss the point, right? We don't want to get lost in the weeds and we want to understand that as we read of these pieces that make up Aaron's holy garb, it's pointing to a greater reality. But for the moment, we have chapter 28 and we have the details. And these garments were not optional, right? Just like holiness for the believer, in fact, in Hebrews 12, 14, what do we read but this? He says, the writer says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Will you see the Lord? The implication is without holiness, you won't. And these garments were not optional. And so here, details on the garments, and then next week in chapter 29, Moses will receive instruction and will look at exactly how the priests were to be consecrated. That is set apart for their service. But beginning in verse 20 of chapter 27, if you'll look there for a moment, all of a sudden, where we've been void of any mention of Aaron, right, for some time, we read as we shift from the details of the tabernacle and its furnishings to Aaron, his sons, and their role and work as priests. 
I mean, this is no minor thing. They are to keep, right? They are to keep the light burning via the lamp by means of this pure beaten oil that the people of Israel bring. They are to keep it before the veil, that is within the tabernacle in the holy place from morning or from evening to morning before the Lord. You imagine that, all right? During the dark hours of the night. And it's true all the way through the end of chapter 30. So chapter 28, 29, and 30 deal particularly with the work of the priests and the priesthood. So how do we see, and here's the question, how do we see that holiness is a priority for priests and for the priesthood? Why is holiness so important? And kids, the answer, if you're thinking about that, you ask, why is holiness so important? Why is a whole chapter in Exodus devoted to holy garments for the priests? The answer is simple, because God is so holy. I don't know that there's any other place in our Bibles where one attribute of God is described, is given to him, like in Isaiah 6, where the cherubim in the temple where God's train, the train of his robe is filling it, and Isaiah is describing the scene, and the cherubim are crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth, like a golden vessel, is filled with his glory. Holiness is a priority, and it's so important because God is so holy. Think about how the the rest of the scriptures bear this out. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, we read this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, very similar to Psalm 15. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of all of his holiness in the splendor of holiness there's something about holiness even though we might speak of all the beauty and perfections of god there's something particularly beautiful about god in his holiness psalm 93 verse 5 we use this is our call to worship. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. And then, as I quoted earlier, the writer in the book of Hebrews picks up this theme. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Well, how do we see that holiness is a priority for priests. I want to point out just five or six truths from this chapter in our remaining time. Number one, I want us to see 
the principle here that Moses, as we see in the very first verse of chapter 28, Moses is given authority to appoint Aaron and his sons to the priestly work. Look at this language. Then bring near to you. That's the language of responsibility and authority, and it's given to Moses. Moses is to bear this responsibility as God's prophet leader. The priesthood was a delegated office. No one appointed himself. And you might remember this from Pastor Jamie's series in Hebrews. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And you might remember if you go back to Exodus 19, if you might remember this, God's intention, chapter 19 and verse 6, was that Israel would be to him a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And it's very important as you think of Exodus 28 and you think of the Aaronic priests, right, in the line of Levi, in the tribe of Levi, is that you see that as God's answer and solution to essentially what Israel was afraid of because they said, we don't want God speaking to us face to face. The original plan was they were regarded as a whole kingdom of priests. Now, so this temporary measure that we see being outfitted here in Exodus 28 actually is the sign, it's the type, it's the shadow that's going to point to a perfect priest, one that really could make a perfect once-for-all sacrifice, and that is our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. But that great high priest is the one who redeems a whole kingdom of priests because, in fact, we're called in 1 Peter 2, 5, Peter speaks of us, picking up on this theme from Exodus 19, 6, in 1 Peter 2, 5, that we, as the people of God, actually are a holy priesthood whose mission and commission is to offer spiritual sacrifices through faith in Jesus Christ. We'll return to that later. But first of all, I want us to see Moses, as we're thinking about holiness as a priority for priests, first, they're not self-appointed. Moses was given authority to appoint Aaron and his sons to this priestly work. Second, I want us to see that the Lord's instructions to Moses emphasize Moses' relationship to Aaron. That as Moses delegates this to Aaron and his sons, and this would be in perpetuity, all right, for a very long time in connection with Israel's worship, it's in the context of relationship. It doesn't simply say Aaron, now call to yourself Aaron, but bring near to you Aaron, your brother. You might know that until Exodus 4.14, you didn't even know that that Aaron existed, all right? Until Moses protested to the Lord and he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else, all right, the prospect of going to Pharaoh. We thought that Moses would go it alone with Pharaoh, one-on-one. But Yahweh gently says in so many words to Aaron, 
He says, you're not alone. You don't need to do it all by yourself. And he asks us in Exodus 4.14, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? And he says, I know that he can speak well. And you hear those special words that communicate relationship, not just Aaron, but Aaron, your brother. Now, sometimes it can almost be too much, a little bit sickeningly sweet in the South when we say brother this, brother that, sister this, sister that, when it's not really particularly said, um, maybe with some thought. We're just casual with it. But here, it's meant God is saying, go and bring near to you Aaron, your brother. He's saying this is not a time to settle scores. We know things will heat up in a few chapters later when Aaron misleads the people of God while and, and grants them permission to misbehave while Moses is up on the mountain. But for now, God's going to use these brothers to achieve his purpose. And it's important as we think about this that Jesus, our great high priest, even as you only find those words one time in the whole Bible, that phrase, great high priest, Hebrews 4.14, our verse of the month that we began looking at this morning, even he, even the Lord Jesus was conscious that he was not his own. He came with delegated authority. We're going to see that more in four weeks as Pastor Philip Van Steenberg is teaching through the upper room discourse. So first, think about this. Moses has given authority to appoint Aaron and his sons to the work. Number two, the Lord's instructions to Moses emphasize Moses' relationship to Aaron. But third, I want us to see that the purpose of the appointment of Aaron and his sons as priests is clear to serve me as priests. Look in verse 1, all right, right there, chapter 28 and verse 1, to serve me as priests. And then in verse 4, to serve me as priest. And then chapter 29 and verse 44, I will concentrate, Aaron also and his sons, I will concentrate to serve me as priest. And what's happening grammatically here is there's this emphasis that what God is doing, the focus is on the end, the purpose. God is setting aside here anointing, ordaining, concentrating, and clothing Aaron and his sons that when it's boiled down to its very essence, their work, the one one horizon looks like service for the children of Israel, God would say they're serving me as priests. They're serving me as priests. Hear the language of call. I like the way the NIV translates this. It says, have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from, from among the Israelites, along with his sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar, so they may serve me as priests. The purpose of the bringing here is consecrated serving. This morning in our Sunday school class, 
we were thinking about the end of 2 Timothy 3 where Paul says that all Scripture is inspired, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And we thought about, connected that to Ephesians 2.10 where Paul says that we are his poema, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. That he ordained beforehand that we should literally walk in them. Did you know, Christian, did you know that you weren't simply meant to sit in a seat and take up space and breathe oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide? You were created for good works. You were created for good works. So the purpose of this bringing is a consecrated serving. There's a third thing I want us to see, and that is that the number and variety of specific pieces of garments conveys the importance, the dignity, and the meaning of the priestly office. And I wouldn't pretend, and I don't think we should pretend, to understand or think that there's identifiable significance to why the ephod is made of four and not three, or four and not five different colored yarns. Does that make sense? I don't think we need to do that. Even the writer of the book of Hebrews says we don't have time to get into that detail. Okay. And if he doesn't, I don't know how I ever could on your behalf. But they convey the importance, the dignity, and the meaning of the priestly office. And he says, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. And that phrase is repeated in verse 40. Even the artisans' efforts to make the cords and the sashes and the caps had great dignity. You shall make them for glory and for beauty. And I want to apply this just for a moment. If you ever think, how can I pray for my pastors? How can you pray for your pastors, your elders? And that is you could pray for our holiness. You could pray that as Paul said to the Ephesian elders, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock of God. As Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching is to remember that we is not to make, not to act as though pastors are priests, But the sense of those of us as men who care for you on behalf of God, who pray for you, who seek to encourage you, who seek to bring the word to you in public and in private, that holiness not only befits his house, but it befits his under-shepherds. It was Robert Murray McShane in one of his beautiful letters, he's writing to a Reverend Daniel Edwards who was being ordained to be a missionary to the Jews, and he went to Germany to study German. I think presumably he was going to evangelize German Jews. And he acknowledged Mr. Edwards' uh, devotion to the German language. But this is what he wrote him. He said, but do not forget the culture of of the inner man. He says, I mean of the heart. 
How diligently the cavalry officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. And he goes on to say this to Mr. Edwards. Remember you are God's sword, his instrument, I trust, a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Yes. There's much detail in these six pieces of garments, but just understand this. The priests, it was a priority that they be clothed in holy garments. I want you to notice too that in just one sentence we have the what, the who, and the why there in verse four. You see this, right? We're given the names of those specific six pieces, a breast piece, a breastpiece of judgment, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. And the provision of skilled workers to make these garments underscores a critical truth. The necessity of united and cooperative community for the formation of spiritual priests. Will we be like what Peter envisions in 1 Peter 2.5? A holy priesthood who's committed to this offering of spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ? Then it will take all hands on deck. Simply possessing the raw materials was not enough. This holy, heartfelt cooperation All rowing the same direction that way was the key. And this was God's idea. But he still called Moses to responsibly appoint the priests from Aaron and his sons. And in effect, this is the institution, this moment, Exodus 28, of the Levitical or the Aaronic priesthood, if you prefer. But further, it would take a team of skilled workers under the direction of Bezalel and Oholiab to make the tabernacle its furnishings and even the holy garments that would adorn Israel's priests for glory and for beauty. And I want you to notice something. You know, we always joke there's no I in team. But if you've never noticed this, even as I read it in chapter 28, there is an interplay a blurring, exchanging of the language of who does what in Exodus 28. You're not sure if it's Moses doing all this creative production or is it Bezalel and Eliab. Look, verse 2, and you shall make. Verse 4, they shall make. Verse 6, and they shall make. Verse 9, you shall make. Verse 20, and they shall bind the breastpiece. Verse 31, you shall make the robe. Back and forth, there's this interchange between the identity of the artisans. And for a moment, you think it is Moses, and then you realize that it is actually those described as skillful in verse 3. When he says, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill. It's not even their own. That they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. 
Moses and the artisans are blended together to a virtually indistinguishable whole. We are one body. We serve one Lord. We have one faith. And again, for whose priesthood was Aaron to be set apart? He says, my priesthood. And so the whole community is to be engaged to help shape and form that holy priesthood that Peter spoke of in 1 Peter 2, verse 5. That we together, with hands lifted up, in unity and not with acrimony, may offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to move us as we close over these next few minutes that we not miss this. That we too need a priest. And that priest requires holiness. No mediator between God and men may come without the clothing of holiness. They must be garbed in this bright and beautiful holiness that's envisioned and modeled here. The priests, the priests, the priesthood, Aaron, his sons, and all that would follow after him in the priestly line, their holy garments, the the inception and the practices of the Levitical priesthood here in Exodus 29 is but a type and shadow of that later and fuller and perfect reality of our Lord Jesus. Are you his? Then you have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Not just any priest. Not just a priest. Not just the high priest in the tradition of Aaron. But you have the Lord Jesus as your great high priest. You're not left naked. He's adorned in holiness for you. It's the writer of the book of Hebrews that takes up this great theme. It's the opening line of our memory verses for May. Hear it again. Since then, the writer says, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. These final moments, I want to fix our eyes, particularly on the Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest. By application, I want us to remember that he is the one that was called and appointed not by himself or by men, but by his Father in heaven. He says in John 5, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He does not come in his own name, but he says in John 5, 43, I have come in my Father's name. And he is the true bread, he says in John 6, 32, that the Father gives to the world. Not only is he the one called and anointed, not by himself or by men, but by his Father in heaven, but he is the one who is clothed completely and perfectly in holiness. The author of Hebrews pours out a fountain of words 
to paint a picture of our great high priest's holiness. And you can envision this. I don't know if you've ever seen a military officer in their formal white dress, and they've gone, undergone inspection. Maybe some of you have worn this if you've served in the military, where there's not a stain, a mark. There's nothing but the purity of bright whiteness. And so the writer says this in Hebrews 7, 26. He says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. The way he piles those words on makes me think for a moment that even the apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I'm not arguing for that. But he just piles them up. We should have... He's not simply saying there is such a high priest. He says we should have such a high priest. Does that fill your heart with joy? Or have you become dull? Are you desensitized to the beauty of that, the joy that you have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens? He lacks nothing that any ephod, any breast piece, any robe, any coat, any turban or sash could or ever would provide. In fact, his robes of righteousness are ours. He robes us with his perfect righteousness so that no indictment against us can stand. His righteousness is regarded as our own. The very basis for our acceptance before God. Have you struggled this week with besetting sin? Is it on your mind tonight? And you're thinking, you're tempted to do that where you want to confess it over and over again. And maybe you've forgotten those words in 1 John 2. If anyone sins, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You do. You do. And so do I. Why do the robes of the saints appear so bright in whiteness? In Revelation 7, 14, we read, they've washed of the saints, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Children, children of Grace Baptist Church, do you know one of the greatest things in life? One of the greatest things in life is to know God's forgiveness and to stand white before him. And there's something amazing in the Bible that says it's the blood of the lamb that makes us white. Now that seems strange to me, but that's the truth of the Bible. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. But there's another truth I want us to see, and that's this. He's the one who bears the name of his saints before the Lord. When we read in Isaiah 9, 6, the government shall be upon his shoulder. It reminds me of Aaron with these two onyx stones engraved with the 12 tribes of Israel. And as though an emphasis so he wouldn't forget, there would be four rows of three where, where each of these onyx stones on the ephod on his shoulders would have six names each. Each of these 12 would have name, one name each engraved. That sense of of permanence and it points to a son who bears our name before the father you know how it is how some may promise to pray for you I'll pray for you 
Have you ever done it and you've forgotten? I'll pray for you and you completely forgot. Has anyone ever done that? Okay, you know what that's like. He never does. He cannot but help to pray for us as our great high priest. It is his nature, it is his work as the apostle and high priest of our confession who entered that most holy place, who tore through that veil and right there at the mercy seat between the cherubim, between that most holy place, he offered not a bull, he offered not a ram, he offered not a goat. But as John Murray says, the offerer became the offering. And that's what's unique about what Jesus did for us. And Paul put it in memorable form when he said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a final point I want to make, and that's this. It's that the Lord Jesus is the very essence of holiness. If ever anyone had a plate of pure gold on his turban that said, holy to the Lord, it was the Lord Jesus. And we are his house. And like in Psalm 93, 5, holiness befits his house. He is the one contemplated by David in Psalm 15 and Psalm 24. He is the one who may sojourn in God's tent. He is the one who may ascend the hill of the Lord and may dwell there. And make no mistake, he is that king of glory in Psalm 24 that David beckons to gates to, to the gates to open up that our majestic and holy priest, king, might come in. Yes, holiness. It's a priority for priests. And it was for those first priests. And people of God, we, as that kingdom of priests contemplated in, 19, in Exodus 19.6 and affirmed by Peter in 1 Peter 2.5, that is what we're called to. Not just a priesthood, but a holy priesthood, priesthood who's commissioned to offer these beautiful sacrifices of praise. That is, as we read in Hebrews 13, the sacrifice of lips that give thanks to God. But we'll have that in ourselves. We receive that. It's given to us in our great high priest. To him. Let's go.